right. It's another Above the Fog. Thank you, John Bertan, for that excellent uh, intro that we can't hear, but I know how it sounds, and it's uh, it's cool because it's like just for this show or podcast or thing that we do. It is uh, 8.52, April 26th, 2023. Uh, I got uh, two esteemed guests here got uh, timothy DiCarlo of uh merced and uh, max cam of san rafael uh, we're going to talk about the uh 2023 uh, boston marathon that took place um uh, my race took place at i think it was 10 a.m on s- on monday the 17th 2023 um good time eastern time yeah at boston um so i flew in actually and i i gotta complain just gotta just get this off my chest here alaska airlines who i really like really just kind of dropped the ball all over me i was supposed to fly on saturday they changed my flight to Friday uh, night, a red eye. And so I didn't want to fly a red eye on Friday night. Uh, so I had a perfect flight Saturday morning. So then I flew Friday morning, which mean meant I needed a hotel Friday. Oh, no big deal. It's only like $350 cheapest possible hotel anywhere, uh, which I lucked out for $350 a night. So Alaska Airlines, poo on you. You uh, you just canceled a flight a month out, destroying my plans. And then on the flight back, I was supposed to fly Monday at like 5 or 6 p.m. And they changed that flight to 11 a.m. on Monday. Uh, so then I also had to get a later flight, uh, which, which didn't exist by Alaska. So I had to cancel that flight, get Southwest Airlines, and... Then I ended up, uh, it was like a 9 p.m., which got delayed almost to midnight, which became basically a red eye on Monday, the 17th. So I flew there on Alaska a day early, and I flew back on a red eye with Southwest. So just had to get that off my chest. Now I sound totally privileged that that was my biggest problem. But yeah, it's expensive. Boston is a uh, expensive endeavor. Um, I wish my family was there. Uh, that would have been great because uh, it's just nice to have everybody at the race. Um, the first one I did, which was 21, 2021, I had my parents and my whole family there. And it was awesome. That was just the way to do the first Boston. And I'll never forget finishing at that park, uh, the Matt Damon Park, and uh, right by the Ducks. And yeah, it was really, it was just really cool. Everybody was there. It's awesome. Just super happy. <laughs> I'm thinking of the South Park movie. I can't remember what the name is, but the puppets where they just make fun of Matt Damon. Matt Damon. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, I actually didn't have a hotel. This is on, on Friday night. And so I ended up staying at the Hyatt by MIT, which is, um, not the center of things at all. It's like a couple of miles. It's like maybe two miles from the city center. 
City Center is like Trinity Church in Boston. Fort Fort Boston Marathon is like the Trinity Church is like the finish line. Um, so it's about two miles from that church. And uh, yeah, that was kind of interesting. But it's far from restaurants and far from everything. That was cool. Uh, Saturday did the expo. They uh, pretty pretty standard. What's it called? The Copley Convention Center or something? Uh, Max, you know the name of it. The Heinz Convention Center. Yeah. Oh, and this time I took the tea everywhere. So uh, it's nice and confusing. Oh, I, I used Uber just for everything. <laughs> oh. But yeah, this time I, I did the um let's see if I can remember all this. I took the silver no, I took the blue bus to the silver line to the green to the blue again. Yeah, there was like all these different there was four different tran uh transit uh moves which is not hard with a phone um but what you have to remember is the um i think it's the green has four legs so there's and i just thought it was a green t they just call everything metro the t but there was green a green b green c green d and i got on like the green and it was like the c and it took me like five stops until i was like Oh, wait, I'm nowhere near where I need to be. <laughs> and then you asked somebody and they looked at you like. Yeah, uh, I couldn't hear the rest of that, Tim. Yeah. I was just thinking that's the place. That's the type of thing where it's like, I'm on the green line. It's green B, you idiot. Like they treat you like you are. <laughs> how how could you not know this? And it said green. <laughs> I'm on green. Yeah. What's great? Yeah, on the right branch. <laughs> I everybody on the the tee was really friendly. I, I I mean, there's runners everywhere, and so I met people from like Melbourne, Australia. Um, met a lot. Of, people are from like all over the country. Met people from London. Um, yeah, the Melbourne, Australia one really stuck out because like it was this older couple, and they were out for a couple weeks, and then they were gonna go to Texas. And I was just sitting there on the tee, and he's like, are you racing? You know, because obviously I'm wearing my jacket. Got to wear your jacket no matter how hot it is. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, he's just a super friendly guy, like, talking about the race and stuff. Um, oh, so I think it was – was it at the expo? I learned how you can get into Tokyo. Um, and that is through just spending money. Um the Marathon Tours has a Seven Continents Club, which is $200, which is, I mean, in the bigger picture of all this stuff, it's like nothing. So all you spend 200 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You You join the Seven Continents Club for $200, and that gives you priority for the spots that they get through for Tokyo. So it's not like time-based or anything. It's basically like Marathon Tours, I guess, gets – Berlin entries and Tokyo entries and I think even London entries and London is actually the hardest to get into according to uh, the lady at Marathon Tours but I don't really care about London so much I was just I really want Tokyo 
Um, so yeah, that's the tip I learned, which was worth the expo. I think I think it's that's where I I heard the tip was at the expo. Um, Interesting. I always shy away from those people at the expo because I'm sure they're just gonna sell me something. <laughs> I'm gonna be walking out eighty thousand dollars in debt. <laughs> you know? That that was actually you know how you have like three goals at a race. That was yeah. my number one goal for this whole whole visit. Don't, Don't spend money at the expo. <laughs> oh, and so so I'm walking around the expo, you know, just kind of like uh, looking at all this. Mm-hmm. stuff i don't need and stuff for and they had the massage guns and it was like a generic massage gun i don't know the name of it um and these guys were pros they had like four chairs very comfortable chairs mm-hmm. not just like plastic chairs but like comfortable lounge chairs you know um that they're all set up and they're like oh come on try it out and like i've been standing for like three or four hours so i sit in the chair and he starts like massaging my shoulders and my legs and he's like yeah uh you know how's your day going you know just basically felt awesome and he's like yeah normally these are $300 a piece but i can sell them to you for $150 each uh and i was like oh what a deal and then i texted my wife i was like hey do we need a massage gun and she just replies like no exclamation exclamation cuz <laughs> cuz i have all kinds of massage stuff i have like the the bar thing and the quad thing and the balls and like foam. I have foam things. I mean, I bet Max has a bunch of that stuff. So like, yeah, I resisted. It was really hard. I actually do have a massage gun. <laughs> They're pretty cool. I have a neighbor with one. Totally worth it. Yeah, I should have got it. <laughs> I that would have been an impulse buy. Use it except for to like like pretend like i'm like a spy and like i shoot my kids with it and they love it but i never actually use it for anything valuable (laughs) oh everything's so expensive so they have the spike dolls these are these little unicorns because the unicorn is the uh, boston athletic association um symbol and like the the boston um medals have the unicorn so um spike is the name of their mascot 30 bucks a piece but i bought one of these for the kids already and i was about to buy them but that would have been 60 bucks and nah, didn't buy it tell the story about the unicorn because i think i told you everywhere i've ever heard it's like oh the unicorn is magical and if you get here you are magic and absolutely and false was, yeah and so tell the story <laughs> i was like really there's a real reason because i've never heard it so 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 in the the mid 1700s the first state building which was the British monarchy built uh, in Boston, downtown Boston. And it's like the, what is it called? The old, the old state house or something. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't remember it. It's like right near Finale square or, um, and if you look at the, the coat of arms on the British monarchy on one side, I think is a bear. Is that the, the left side? Let me, let me look here. State House, Boston. Yeah, pull up a picture. <laughs> yeah, here you go. Um, State House. No, it's not the State House. It's called the Old State House, I think. <clears throat> you sent? There it is. Yeah, okay, I'm going to share here. Share with you guys. 
Okay, here we go. Where John Adams defended the uh, British soldiers. I thought that was that building, but it could okay. be. Okay. This building called me crazy. This is the oldest building in Boston. It's the old state house. It like precedes like our country's age. Uh, and the the coat of arms for the British monarchy have the lion on the left and the unicorn on the right. And pretty sure <laughs> that unicorn is almost identical to the unicorn they used in the all the trophies and stuff. Um, and even the way the head is faced, because I looked at like some of the old Boston medals. So that's, and that's like the, the most famous building in Boston, or the oldest famous state house. So I'm pretty sure that's the, the, where it comes from. So or I could be wrong, but kind of makes sense. Does that mean the BAA has Scottish roots? Because a unicorn is the official animal of Scotland. Uh, probably. I don't know. <laughs> you, you need to dig deeper. You didn't. You didn't go there and accomplish the mission. You need to dig deeper. Find that out. Next time. Uh, next time. Yes, next time. Um, not even the people that are part of the BAA really know, but that's kind of like um. I, I I think it's pretty answered here. Um, so in my opinion uh so saturday was oh saturday was there was a shakeout at tracksmith tracksmith is a really cool um running store really high-end like really nice running gear um i have like 100 running shirts and like 20 running shorts so probably don't need any pair anything more but um still cool stuff like Tracksmith on Newberry uh, downtown, and I met Mario Frioli there. Uh, met a bunch of people that are just super friendly runners. Uh, what was that lady's name? She was like a sixty-something lady just getting into running. It was also a meetup for local runners, which is cool. And um, yeah, I've done that every time. There's like a Tracksmith morning, uh, Saturday morning run. Um, then it's like a Oh, sorry. Is oh, there like a big runner groupy like feeling when you're there? Like, is there like all these other people that are runners that didn't make it that are just like, wow, I'm here and you're a real runner. Can I touch you? Like, it is. It's like I told my brother this last year. It's like um, there's this Cal um, Mount San Antonio College uh invitational in southern california and it's for high school kids and you have like a hundred maybe more like a hundred schools it's like private public schools john probably knows this because he's a coach um and it's great like because there's all these yeah mount sac because there's all these runners and it's boston is just that for old people like you have all these old people us running around loving loving we just love running and uh and everyone's like yeah it's a party it's a good time so uh saturday uh the main event on saturday was the uh 
Greg McMillan um, meetup, which was like this $25. Um, it was really small. There's only like maybe 20 or 30 people there. But I got to meet Kira Diamato in person and like say hi to her. And I was like, uh, you're the fastest ever female marathoner up until I think Lyndon took it in 2022. But her story is like the most incredible. And she was the the most incredible runner I met that whole weekend. She is a mom of two. And then I think she was 37 years old when she set that American record in the marathon and just super smart, um, focused, uh, and had the ability to have a long training cycle up to, uh, I don't know the race, but unlike college where there's all these racing and, um, it was, it was very like, she was able to focus later on and she she obviously had the speed and stuff it's pretty cool and she's like tiny tiny person like 90 pounds maybe like maybe five feet tall so <clears throat> um met greg mcmillan he's the uh the training plan person i've been using for this this boston i also used him for the way hey. too cool hey john had you not met him before not in person, didn't, no. Didn't he live here? Uh, he lived here for a while. I yeah, Tim, Tim Wallen knows him. Who cross-country races with him. Remember a couple cramped car rides uh, with him and like four other guys going to cross-country races in the South Bay. Oh, wow. Small world. Yeah, he's like, he was like an Olympic qualifier, like mm-hmm. in the marathon. He's He's a... He's the real deal. And uh, super, like, just upbeat, positive, you know, trying to get us all psyched up for the race. And, uh, you know, told us the work's all done. Just follow your plan. Follow everything you've done. Have a good time. Enjoy the enjoy the race. Um, yeah, he did it. I think the last time he did it was 2013. Oh, wow. Ten years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's a little older than me. He might be like fifty. I don't know. So I think I'm trying to remember correctly his last cross country race during one of those carpools. He I think he was running masters. So Yeah, so he um four or five years ago. Oh yeah, so Saturday I did about twenty six thousand steps or something. <laughs> Just walking around. Probably not a good idea. Um <clears throat> Do you do you keep track and pay attention to your step counts? Oh, just at the end of the day, I look at it. Not that day. I'm like, yeah, I'm like. But it, but it does trigger something. You're, you're you're making a note of it. Like, <laughs> let's say you you look at your step count and it said three thousand. How would you feel about your day? Well, I had some days like that last week. <laughs> I'd be like, I haven't done anything. I need to walk the dog or something. And how many steps did you get in Boston? Um. Well, on that Saturday, I had a lot. Um. But on Sunday. I didn't do anything. I mean, I, I knew I had to take it easy on Sunday. Um, <clears throat> so I, I did go to Finale. What's that thing called? Finale Market Square. That's probably where I picked up COVID on Sunday. Because there was like, or it was at the expo. I don't know. 
um, the plane, or, or the plane, or the other places, or maybe or you the brought tea, it out there, or, or the tea line. Or... Yeah. Um, Sunday was really low key. Uh, you know, normal. Didn't do anything all day. <laughs> uh, then the big race Monday. I was up at 5 a.m. <clears throat> took the T in, took the red line from Cambridge over to the uh, near Matt Damon Park. What's that one called? Oh, yeah. I'd have to look it up. Matt. <laughs> yeah, let's get into the race. Let's so actually, right before the race, I met uh, a 220 guy. He's like 225. Um, just a kid. <clears throat> when you say that as a runner... That's kind of funny because saying that as a runner, the uh, um, runners will jump to marathon time. But if you said I met a 220 guy to a lot of other areas of sports, they're going to think, oh, 220 pounds. <laughs> it's just a different spin on the numbers. Yeah, I wish I could remember his name. He was, I think he's from Wisconsin, and he was like in some from some really tiny town, like a thousand people. How many 220, 220 marathoners do you think there are? Uh, a couple hundred in the country. <laughs> yeah. Like, what do you think? I don't know. Most of them were probably at Boston. That would be an interesting just to see. Not when you when you start talking about weight, it gets a little touchy, and not for any kind of judgment because bodies are different, muscle mass, height, all of that. But it is interesting to consider because you mentioned Kara D'Amato and you said she's what 95 pounds. I don't know how much weight she's matters super in a marathon. Tiny. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. She's I mean, a tiny person. Weight, weight matters over the course of 26.2 miles in in ways that that make sense, but also that also don't that aren't um, what's the word? Uh, that is sometimes counterintuitive. Okay, sorry. <laughs> oh no, that's cool. Oh, I met. Um... I met a cross-country coach, what was it, in, uh, I want to say San Ramon, I'm not sure, his name, Nee, his last name was Nee, N-E-E, does that ring a bell, John? Possibly, did he say where he coached cross-country? I have to go through my coach's list. Let's see if I can pull him up here. San Ramon. Public school, I'm not. Rick Nee lives in Danville. Okay. Definitely Danville. that is who, yeah. He ran uh, Santa Rosa for uh, 242, and he's like uh, 46 years old. Okay. Uh, he, I think he was like top five, Santa Rosa. Um, yeah, but he, he puts in the miles, and all his miles are slow. Like he, he does like 70, 80 miles a week. <clears throat> Um, yeah, I sat next to him. Breakdown between you know following kind of like a like an eighty twenty plan. Like there, there's got to be some kind of tempo and speed in there as well. And when you say slow, what do you mean slow? Well, I have his Strava right here. Um, he's like uh, he's just low. I mean, it's like uh, it's like making a brisket. He's like eight eight twenty eight thirty eight twenty eight forties. There's a seven minute, five mile, eight forty, um, eight twenty. On what what kind of terrain? Is it flat? Is it road? 
or are we looking at some trails? Because when you say like 820 mile, and if you're doing a, a route that's got, you know, around a, let's say anywhere like 1500 feet for 10 miles, um, that could be pretty fast. No, he's figured something out because I'm looking, I'm looking at all his activities. Uh, here, here he did a three mile in 609 average. Okay. So he did, he, that's like a 5k, I think. Um, yeah. yeah, he's fast, but yeah, you said 80, 20, I'd say 90, 10. He's like, 90, 10. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I like your analogy yeah. of flow like a brisket. That's yeah. That's like, really uh, the, the speed will come and I still get impatient. <laughs> I still, I still think I need to do the speed work. So you, some, someday you'll have a book that is low and slow and it'll be simultaneously uh, a uh, cooking um, uh, you know like how the best way to prepare meat and the best way to train for marathons slow uh, low and slow meat and marathons I like it yeah so let's get let's just get into the race <clears throat> let me log on to my Strava and I'm going to go to your Strava too um, explore athlete search uh, log in. There we go. I'll share. I'll share it with you guys. Okay. Uh, and Chrome. Okay. Put put. There we go. Oh, slash. So if you I were did. doing. You had your the most mileage you had in the last year actually was in. Early October. You got Last an year. Mile yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's when I did my 10-mile, 10-day. Yeah. And then you got up to a 63-mile week in the middle of January. You had a buildup. But then in March, ooh, you started, you kicked off March at the 46-mile week, and then it dropped down to a 20, and you kind of built I back up. I was sick. Yeah, I got sick. Yeah, I, I wonder if that... Oh, so that 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 first uh, part of that March first week—that's way too cool. Yeah. And you went down lower, and then you started building back up to April. But you're from in the in the in the eight weeks prior, other than way too cool, you didn't have any big, I would say, kind of like a sweet spot of like a fifty-mile week, or maybe. What that might entail is I'm also looking at the time you spend on your feet. Like you, you're getting like you got to your 43 mile week, uh, I guess a couple weeks out, six out, six and a half hours for that week. So that's also another way. Like how much time did you spend and how much distance did you get? Okay, there's this training uh, history. Strava, it's like a it's like a large language model, AI algorithm. The data is all there. It's just how do you interpret it? Yeah, I didn't get the miles I wanted to get in after way too cool. Uh, yeah, I don't, I'm not really sure why. Uh, <clears throat> but I felt good. I felt strong. And uh, the first you. 10 were just nice and perfect say felt great first 10 uh and then i'd say 10 to 15 the wheels fell off at i'd say 14 <laughs> did you start to 
so when when did you sometimes when the wheels fall off in a race like you you have an awareness and in the the post-mortem you realize oh i knew it say at this mile but then the body didn't fully accept it and the spirit didn't fully accept it until a later mile like was there some kind of a stretching out you say like 10 to 14 is that was that that process well i mean i wanted like right around 10 maybe, maybe my realization i wasn't gonna uh, yeah what was my fir- my first half was pretty fast um but i was like yeah you you your mile 10 was your last under seven minute mile yeah for the whole thing you started you i could see like in the was there like so mile 10 11 was slightly slower again mile 10 was 62 11 705 then a 701 and i can see what it looks like is there's that i'm going to try to rally pick up this pace i'm I'm not even halfway done yet but then 13 was a 712 and 14 717 so i i I remember 15 maybe it was 16 that was kind of the end of my race basically because i you can see me backing off on the intensity because the legs the legs wouldn't yeah the legs wouldn't go uh i was cramping 714 to a 759 yeah (laughs) That was actually where my question was going to be. I, like, the data tells the story. What the story does it tell? I think is something I've heard that sounds kind of like what John said. Your heart rate is going down. I was wondering what was happening there. Um, yeah, I mean, I. It was one. It was a really odd. I've never had this happen where I want to go faster, but my legs wouldn't go faster. So now, I have an aside on the heart rate data. We can see a trend in it, but how much do you trust your heart rate data from your watch? Were you, oh, this you were is this is accurate. I couldn't I couldn't yeah, make the legs it. go any faster than they were. So this is probably about right. I was like really working hard to get that seven minute here. That that's probably right. Uh, one seventy at twelve, but I couldn't. I just couldn't get the legs to move. I would try try to pick it up. And then they would cramp again. And I actually, what I had to you, stop. <laughs> what were you... Oh, no, um, that has to do with your strategy. What were you eating? Also, maybe. Well, the night before, I had this really good um, rigatoni uh, meat sauce, uh, which I thought was pretty good. For And then um, the morning of, I had some oatmeal, like I always do, and like a bagel with peanut butter. Um, I had a goo at mile five and then a goo at mile 10, then another goo at like 15. And then actually once I started cramping, I threw out the, the whole plan and I, cause I wasn't drinking any of the Gatorade they give you. So I was like, oh, I'll just drink Gatorade every mile because I need something and this isn't working. Uh, I even grabbed a Morton. <laughs> So yeah, the when you're saying you were you wanted to you you could have pushed harder aerobically, but the legs just weren't turning over faster. You're saying cramping. Um, yeah, I've never had that happen either, ever. Like in any ever? running, like ever. My <laughs> legs, I've I mean I've had sore legs. I've never had it where they cramp so hard I have to stop. 
was it the entire legs or were there specific spots one side more than the other so is it, it was like the quads the my my quads okay. uh like on the right side then like a quad on the left it's crazy cramping it kind of sounds it's, like you didn't hydrate enough because it from what i've heard from other people like it was a pretty cool day it wasn't too cold but it was like cool enough and i think probably at some point it also started raining for maybe like a few minutes yeah, so, yeah. i threw off your your um water intake because that'll you're, you're, like if that makes sense up, max because yeah. i yeah at the the aid stations i'd have a swig of water which is like nothing i mean it's yeah. like a gulp and and i didn't drink any water uh before the start because i didn't want to have to pee because of the um the pee situation there <laughs> like because you yeah you, you don't there's sorry yeah the bathroom situation you don't like the 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 year before i like everybody had to explode i, I sat next to max last year and like everybody has to pee getting off the bus so i didn't want to do that and then i was like oh i'm just not going to drink water <laughs> yeah and you get there at like you get to the start area at like what 8 8 30 in the morning and you're you got like 90 minutes before your race actually starts or even more depending on what time you get there and also like the time that you've been up since so you woke up you woke up at five and you didn't start running till like 10 maybe 10 30 i don't know i think like you started at like right around 10 right yeah so i did yeah. i mean i did have some water but like given five to ten and then the there was humid it was cool but it was humid so i was sweating a lot and i sweat a lot so i think that that has a lot to do this this cramp that makes a lot of sense and you um, I, you also tend to run better the cooler it is so even if it's like not hot but still not cold and it's humid that that fits with you know your past uh performances which you've described you know what temperatures you like yeah yeah i think i think that that it kind of answers a lot and there's no like once you're pretty dehydrated i don't think there's a magic bullet uh a magic drink or something that's gonna make your legs come back from cramping i mean you guys have done ultras so what do you do when you're cramping at like mile 50 and you have 50 to go oh, oh man salt yeah but salt that's pills. where salt there okay so i've experienced different kinds of different versions of the situation where you aerobically think i can do this i can go faster than this but the body is just not cooperating so one of those in some ultras especially 100k 100 mile definitely is aerobically like the heart rate could go higher but the body can't just is not going to take any more impact the legs are just too tired and and and, and sometimes with that in the 100 miler it's like the lack of sleep you're just like i my brain is mushy <laughs> that's the extreme wow. like um in shorter versions of that 50k to 50 mile i've definitely experienced the it's 
it's hot. I fell off my salt plan and my electrolyte plan. The nutrition is out of whack and my quads or hamstrings or something is just cramping up and every stride is just pure soreness. Um, but then there's the other part, and this is, this is what I'm trying to return to and work on is that I've also felt that, oh, my, my legs just aren't, my muscles aren't efficient. Um, whether it's from flexibility, uh, the, you know, the, the biomechanics of it, like just there, the motion of this because of how a stride is truncated or not working efficiently and not absorbing the impact in a, you know, very efficient way because of limited biomechanics that it, that's not a salt thing. That's not a nutrition thing. That's a, that's an entirely different thing. So the extreme of that is like, you have something on one side or one small spot and that's like that's injury but it there's also the oh my hamstrings are just super tight but then that also the quads work opposite the hamstrings and so if your hamstrings are super tight your quads are also going to be doing some overtime work so they're going to be taxed a bit more uh when you're trying to get energy you know use out of them for impact and turnover and stuff like that so the whole kinetic chain from when the, the bottom of the feet touch the ground to how the arch, ankle, calves, knee, quads, hamstring, hips, all of that, if there's stuff that is that you've neglected, then over time, maybe not over the course of just a year, but over the course of years, you start to notice it. Mm-hmm. And I see this on the definitely spoken to enough, you know, of our peers, adults who have been doing this for a long time. But I also see that on the, the shorter time scales with high school kids. And it's, it's even with, with them, it's, you got the other aspect of their bodies are changing so dramatically over the course that that also is something to can, you know, consider and, you know, how they're going to, what, what their, you know, peak performance will be. So that's, that's another dimension to consider. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I totally think, agree. I, I think you're right. You, you have to like, race like you train or train like you race and there's not a lot of pounding on asphalt that i enjoy doing (laughs) um which is a lot of what boston is it's like downhill pounding and i should have gone out much slower and like worked into the race but i was so excited i mean this has been happening since i was in high school you're excited and like you go go out too fast and like you pay for it, and I paid for it pretty hard. Well, you don't think you're going out too fast. No, you feel I, comfortable, fresh. Right? Yeah, yeah, and like, and the, then mile the, eight, ten, twelve rolls around, then you're like, oh crap, maybe I did go out too fast. And, you and still like, my 14, heart rate was like 150 for the first mile. My heart rate's one, like 150 is not a lot. That's like, that's yeah, nothing. that could be fine. <laughs> so I know I could. I know. I can be in the one mid 160s for two, three hours, no problem. So at 150, I'm like, so I needed to do like the first mile at like a 140, like <laughs> heart rate or just Probably. super, super easy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I ran my fastest marathon at uh, average heart rate of, I think, like 155. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this feels fine. It was hard, but it was okay. I was like, can I sustain this? All right, we'll see mile by mile see what that looks like but yeah totally easy to get super excited about race and 
as far as the cramping goes, yeah, like half of that is salt. The other half is, yeah, like you said, John, like weak muscles. And I've had cramps before too, like especially close to the end or even like in the middle. And then I'm like, all right, I need to work on whatever the heck is cramping more. But yeah, this is hamstrings. Yeah, this is this is good stuff. Um, I really didn't think so much about the salt intake or the cramping. I just thought I just I just couldn't suck it up enough. <laughs> Could we? Um, it's amazing. I just feel like so much science was dumped on me. But like, if in COVID, like we we brought it up earlier, like. If COVID had played a part, do you think it could have played a part oh. in the course of the race? Oh, no, I, I don't. Because I felt really fresh. I mean, yeah, I got COVID right away, but I felt so fresh. Uh, and I could see my resting heart rate the night before was fine. Like, if I'm starting to get sick, I can mm. see, like, my resting heart rate get a little higher. I had a 39-40 resting heart rate the night before which is like really good. So I don't think most, I was fighting anything. Most likely your immune system was compromised from the race. You'll yeah, never know yeah, what yeah. actually happened, but that is the, when you do something like a marathon, like you, you are inducing a fever in your body, et cetera. You, you are doing you know, a bunch of damage to your system and that compromises it. Yeah. A, and I didn't sleep until Tuesday. I mean, I, I slept maybe an hour or two on the plane, but like I was, that was rough because travel the red, sucks. Yeah, the red eye, which uh, I don't know. I, mean, I don't know. I was just spitballing. <laughs> like, what? What if? Like, what if we just saw the effects of COVID in mid race? Like, that would be a perfect excuse. But it, know, yeah, I was gonna, that. I was gonna lean on that at first, <laughs> and I thought about it. I was like, ah. Eh. Nah, <laughs> but then I was, I, I was, what was that, Max? Didn't hear you. I have that experience of racing with COVID, but I'll save that for another day. <laughs> we should, we should do one with uh, racing with COVID, how to race with COVID. No, everybody I was, get, everybody get COVID right before the run and see how it affects First of all, no. <laughs> I was in really bad shape. Like that's so by Wednesday. I had like 102 fever for like a day. I was pretty, pretty out of it. <laughs> so you had and, a fever uh, with this one? Yeah, I, I had a fever. I didn't have like, wasn't in my chest or anything. I didn't have any of that, but I had like a really high fever. I no, no pink up. guy that they're talking about with the, what's the name of the latest variant, Arcturus? I no, I, su- I suffered, I f- suffered from Netflix binging. It's a common uh, symptom of COVID. COVID. Watched. Um, I, mean, I watched The Watchers. Have you heard? Have you seen this one? It's pretty pretty good. I thought The Watchers. It's like a nine part. Each one is like fifty minutes long, and I watched nine in a row. <laughs> so, so what? One of the things you got out of this then is a somewhat of a forced lay low recovery. Because I've heard it stated, and it's probably true, you know, like when you do something with the intensive, like a marathon distance 
had a marathon race pace, you're going to take maybe six weeks to truly recover from that. And then, of course, in a lot of the, the circles that we run with, literally, um, people are like, I got a 50K this weekend, and then another 50K next weekend, and there, there's like, no, no recovery. Uh, well, I'm, I'm back on my mom's, I'm, I'm, my orange theory. I'm back on my, I'm already back on my orange theory today, which uh, uh, I did. Yeah. But you, you had some time to just like, I got to sit, I got to lie down and just sort of let the body repair itself. And a lot of times, you know, with life, et cetera, you do a race with travel, you come back, you're back into your normal, you know, we're not professional runners. You're just back into normal, your, your actual profession and, you know, family and all of that. And you got, you got some recovery time. So do you feel, I'm, I'm, uh, I didn't, you know what I didn't do. So they call it like post rehab or something like you go for a jog after like two days or something. I didn't do that. And I wasn't doing anything. So normally I'm like, even if I don't run, I get like 12,000 steps. No problem. Um, so I wasn't doing it. I was, my legs went from marathon to playing to laying in bed. And then, and then when I was like, yeah, you could see some of my runs, uh, here, here it is. Like, I don't know. I, I was painful <laughs> when I was like, Oh, I'm going to just do a, a two mile jog. It was like really painful. The first two miles I did. And that was, that was like Monday. So, whole week off normally i'm ready to go like after a week to do a jog but i was in rough shape for just two miles um but now i'm good now i'm ready to go do another marathon all rested (laughs) what what is your next marathon um well i have chicago in october and i have uh hood to coast relay uh, with some friends. That's just a fun run in August. Like August 24th. Uh, yeah, so I don't know. I'm just going to get fat. <laughs> well, you always get your miles in. Like, even when you don't have a race in the calendar, like races are often motivation. Like, I got to train, etc. But so just settling into back into a routine you know of what would be your weekly mileage with no race on a calendar in the immediate future i i'd say i have a base of 20 plus years of 20 to 25 miles a week so like my maintenance my like headspace maintenance that's a good yeah my i wouldn't even call it maintenance my just like it's, it's like walking the dog or like making breakfast making cereal every morning it's just that's like just breathing. like what I, it's like yeah it's like breathing it's just what i have always done and it for me as i get older it's like more of a mental space too and less of oh, like I a competitive agree. yeah just getting out I'm very comfortable. yeah i don't run for the fitness it's uh, <laughs> you know maybe for the, the mental fitness but yeah, it's a, it is time, whether it's with friends or whether it's, you know, your solo time, it's, it's necessary. Yeah. Um, oh, I signed up for a, a coaching course. Uh, it's $250. Uh, 
Uh, USATF? No, it's a Greg McMillan training coaching thing and like he mentors you through it and it's like a couple hours of like videos basically and then you take some tests and about have you absorbed the information but uh it's just fundamentals basic stuff uh, i thought it'd be good to help him out because i think he's really really knows what he's talking about he has a lot of books out there and i also thought i'd benefit you know and maybe i could coach someone like tim DeCarlo. Yeah, I was going to say, let me be your first client, and he will say, uh, uh, Andy, you just don't got it. <laughs> you did not make any changes with this guy at all. <laughs> no, but I I don't want to make a single dollar. I just want to have other people enjoy running is the whole objective. Like, if I could help somebody enjoy running like I do, that would be the, the best. So. so how long have you have you had Greg as a coach? Um. Well, I've been following his training plans. He's not a coach. Like, well, he's just just training plans for since okay. last year, like November, I want to say. You've been following that, so you're you're not getting the 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 coaching package where you're giving somebody your workouts every week and they're telling. No, you that's like an extra hundred dollars a month. That, and I didn't want to pay for that. Yep. <laughs> so, but but I I do. There, there is an interesting aspect to this because I, I know people who do have that that like runners say, connect like, uh, one, that. They'll have, yeah. they have a coach and uh-huh. there's a remote coach there's the in-person coach um there's so many different levels of it and yep. you can be I mean, we know people who are professional coaches literally that's what they do in their main business yeah. um our yeah. friend Levi. and it's uh, of of a pinnacle running to give his business a plug yeah um, and, and t- i think tim wallen has done stuff with pinnacle also yeah, it's and it's some people and it's one of those things where some people really do it, it helps them a lot. Like especially for and I, there's diff, different types of people where it's really going to help them. Like so, somebody who has never run a marathon or half marathon or 5K before, and they're like, "What do I need to do to not hurt myself?" And they they don't want to dive in and become a student of it. They just want it's, it's not to say they just want to be lazy. No, it's like diving in and becoming obsessed with something, which is, I think where we're at is, and it's, be, as you said, it's become part of just like your daily routine and breathing. Cause you had something that got you into it. Um, some way it got rolled into your life for people who like look at runners from like an external perspective, like how do I get into that world and having that, you know, somebody guide them into it. That's super helpful. And there's mm-hmm. so many different ways to do that. Um, then there's the people who, you know, they're, they've had tremendous success and they're always looking for ways to shave off their, you know, time, shave down seconds and need just that external point of view to help them. And then there's other people who, you know, just want, okay, I need my training plan for the week. I don't want to think about it. Somebody else is going to think about it for me and give me this training plan. So I think, I I think even the best, yeah. Yeah, I'll finish. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I guess what I'm asking is, where where do you fall in this? Because you were following a training plan, but you also kind of marched to your own beat, and just that's kind of what I've noticed about you and how you're wired. And so, in many ways, like maybe I'm overanalyzing people, but you know, knowing a lot of people at all different levels of runners who have hired coaching services and at different levels, and then I start to think, well, 
what else do you do? Like, how do you approach other things in your life and stuff like that? And it's interesting. It's kind of like, I see kind of the same wiring where I can run, I can figure this out I can figure out a training plan. And it's the same thing as, yeah, I can figure out how to fix this thing on my house or something like that. I don't need somebody to do it for me. There's certain kinds of wiring people have. And so you're kind of a do it yourself guy and you're, it's interesting watching you exploring coaching. And so now you're jumping into taking a coaching course and you know, what do you, where is where do you think where where do you well, see that taking? Well, because well, first I think everybody can benefit from talking to other people, even if those people are not like experts in running or something. But like, obviously, talking to experts in running, you're going to learn something, or you're going to get. And 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 I have seen uh, friends of mine who are very disciplined. Um, see the benefits of following following like the routine and like they, they they have the consistency right they have the consistency I don't have so I kind of have a good race or not so good race and like so I see that and I was like oh try it out I was and then I was thinking there's lots out there that I haven't explored so um, I was looking for the cheapest option at first then I'm sort of learning more and then and then maybe I'll I'll pay somebody to talk to on a regular basis but I don't know if I'm there yet um yeah I think it's 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 like there's a lot on periodization and like learning about um intensity and then recovery right obviously all all of our training is you train hard you recover uh you train some more you recover but like, there's a science to it, and like, oh yes, there is. Like uh, Killian, right? Uh, Killian Journey, the guy, uh, he's Mr. Brisket because he's like 99% low and slow, but the guy is the best ultra runner in the world, and so I mean, he probably runs like five, six hours a day. I have no idea, but like, is this Spanish guy? I, uh, is he? Sp- Spanish, yeah, he's yeah, he's um, back. <clears throat> okay, yeah. But maybe this started after UTMB, because there was a Koros analysis of Killian, and this is where I was like, oh, I need to get more scientific on this. And and you can just Google Koros Killian UTMB, but it like really goes into like his resting heart rate and all of this other stuff, and you know how he got there. <laughs> and I, I know to- Killian, but there's a lot of science there. I had a student I coached. He's long since graduated, not just from high school, but from college. He was one of our top runners um, at the high school, and he still has a bunch of school records. Um, not the fastest ever, but one of the, the top two or three. And he went and ran in college, and now I guess he's all grown up with a job of his own and a career and everything. And when I was running with him, he would always come back when he visited. I'd go for a run with him. And this was, I can't remember if this was late in his junior year, beginning with senior year, because he ran cross country and track in college. He was one of the few kids that latched on to Strava as a tool, not for social media, but he was into data. 
And I think last I heard, he's working, he got a degree and it's related to computer science and math and geographic information systems. So he's working in that data analysis world. And Strava is totally just a GIS system, geographic information system um, with a very specific application. And he noticed something about his own training in the data. And because he he had amazing races and he also struggled with some injuries, uh, both in high school and in college. And we noticed in terms of his own training periodization, because you could just see the data in front of him, like when his, uh, what his, what his cycles were was he'd go 11 weeks of like building up training hard, hard, hard. And then that 12th week he would get injured. Some kind of stress injury would just, that was building would just explode. And he noticed that cycle happen a bunch of times. And so he realized, oh, I got to week 11. Now I need a rest week. And he started incorporating that. And he, he kept a lot of injuries at bay that way. I was, I was very impressed. I was like, wow, that's a tremendous amount of just looking at data and trying to look at it from a very rational point of view and self-knowledge and also trying an experiment. Going to try a rest week and then start the training cycle again. And in many ways, like he's an experiment of one himself and that works for him. He, it's funny, like some people would say, okay, now this is the training plan. Let's market this and sell the coaching method. But he's like, this works for me because uh, he had enough data on it from his just years of using Strava. It was really cool. Yeah, it's, it's not, really yeah. What, I, what I'm seeing or starting to understand more is it's not the intensity of your workout. It's, it's the low intensity of your next day or the following day workout and like always going at like 80 90 percent because it's fun is not good training <laughs> and so the low and slow is like at least with this stuff with marathons is like uh i think the key and and really like that that guy I talked about the 242 he's like i think he's like a year or two older than me 242 is amazing for a marathon um especially in your mid 40s yeah low and slow all the time which is funny i, I just pulled up a, a let's run uh forum oh no and <laughs> <laughs> gotta love let's run i love that let's run still exists oh, gosh. It's still kind of, i'd say it's still relevant and it was um uh, joe rubio who coached he coached cal poly i can't remember He's not coaching there anymore. Um, he ran for Cal Poly. Um, he in the uh, PA uh, circuit. He uh, Sergio Reyes was is one, one person he's coached. And I remember reading something from uh, Joe in Runners World many years ago. And this Runners World, this less run post about it. I was just going to look it up. It was uh, he had a training article called "Always Ready to Race," and it was what he called his endless season cycle, which is like kind of the opposite of what you said. Um, <laughs> I have to post the article, but it was just like to train to race, train to race by racing <laughs> and always going at approximately like 80 to 90% of what you can do, but never a hundred percent. And that's, and then eventually you pick some race that you're going to go like, I'm going to be a hundred percent at one race a year. But the rest of the year, you're going to go like 90 to 95%. You do, you do have and to I have your A race. Do that. Yeah. Your, your I, objective I do race. Do that. That just, yeah, I'm thinking of uh, 
Jason Reed right now. He, he who, races who, all the time. He's a kid now, and I'm wondering how it's going to change his life. And I got to say, I kind of was, that's kind of what I followed for quite a while, was just I'm going to always go, 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 go. And it wasn't any one thing that I would say I'm not doing this right now. I'm still filling my time with, you know, distance races every couple of months. Uh, but definitely not the endless season training anymore. And I'm, I've been trying to reflect on myself, like why, you know, what, there's a lot of things that have changed in my life. But I, I think a lot of it just comes down to like, what are your priorities right now? Yeah. And that's it right there is what are your priorities? Like, I can't, I can't do like 20 mile runs on the weekend and, and then also be a hundred percent for the family. So I got to like kind of, dial back on those <laughs> not that i do that very often but i'm gonna have to dig up that that always ready to race article because that was uh that was somewhere between five to ten years ago in runner's world and i remember reading it going hmm, that's an interesting approach and i know people who take that approach and i realized for a while i was taking that approach yeah i think and, and there is a sweet spot over 100 yeah. um so i did meet a bunch of fast people and anybody 230s to 240s, uh, actually, everybody that I met that did over 100 miles was a 230-something runner. So if you're running, if you can not be injured and consist, and you have a, some some talent, and you can consistently run 100 miles a week, uh, 230s, you know, mid 230s, high 230s seems about where people are at. It's like pretty simple equation, but I think it's true. I have to That's, imagine, even though they're fast and they're doing 100 miles, I don't think they're cranking out the miles. They're no. Hammering them. I think they're all probably like that guy you were talking about. Just Unless you're Ken Rideout, yeah. Yeah. No, you, you, you do a lot of doubles in there. You got you got a morning 10-miler and an evening 10-miler. Yeah. And the people who do this that have families and they're up before sunrise. Okay, I got to get my 10 miles in the morning. And then once the kids go to bed, I got to get my 10 miles in the evening. And you can you can add up the mileage that way if you're going to do a morning run and an evening run. Um, and there's, yeah, no fat on these people. Like, if I did 100 miles a week, which I don't think I could do and not be injured, I would weigh 10 pounds less. And that would be, that'd be so much faster. Well, I say, John, do you think these people that do this at 10 miles in the morning, 10 miles in the evening, do you think they're going out saying, I've got a time goal every run? Or do you think they're just going out and enjoying their 10 miles? Like, what do you think most of these people that are doing that? I think some of them do have time goals, especially if it's like, all right, this is, you know, Tuesday tempo day or whatever. And it's like one of those runs is going to have a a tempo seven in the middle. But then it becomes okay, this run has to be instead of, you know, 6.30 pace is going to be at 8.30 pace. And I can't go faster than that. So that also is probably part of that equation. Um, and it just depends on the runner and what they're training for. Because then, I mean, there's there's the road marathoners and some of them that I know, they, they, they got a treadmill in their garage and that helps too. It's like, you, you can really rack up the miles if you have something like that. Um, <laughs> but then there's the... That's how I do it. <laughs> That's how I get my 30 miles a week sometimes. <laughs> and, and so, but then there's the other 
bent on it of like, okay, so for the trail world and in the ultra world, like you start thinking about not just the distance, but the, I'm looking at the, the way the Strava breaks on the training log and that's elevation and time on feet, which like when you say, what's your elevation every week? That's not going to register with somebody who's training for road marathons. Like you're, you're just trying yeah. to get, or you, even time on feet is not something that's really going to register. Um, so that's a, it's, there's different aspects that need to be considered for the training. Again, specificity for, for a particular course or event. Yeah. So, I mean, so you're saying within a week or a training cycle, there are intentional runs where they're trying to hammer out the speed, but not yeah. every workout every day. They're not doing that. No, it's, you might have your intentional rest pace. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people, though, that are trying to get a fast marathon are trying to get as fast as they can every run. What was the term you used? Uh, what was the article you said you're trying to look up? I have a feeling. Oh, the, the, endless, the endless season, always ready to race. Yeah, and I have so, a feeling, like, because that's how I used to be. Every run when I was younger had to be a certain pace. And if I didn't hit that pace, it was a failed run. Um, and that's a good way to burn out. Let's see. I'm, I'm, I've got the article right here. Oh man, it was published June 12, 2011. Um, subtitle of it with the right training schedule, you can be race fit through the year and enjoy racing more often. Um, just jumps in. Training programs are often based on the premise of a base period, a pre competitive period, and a competitive peak period. So the periodicity, periodization of a uh, training plan. Um, yeah, so the, if you have no intentions of having a peak racing season um, and you're not like a professional you know, athlete where you kind of can have that, well, let's uh, race throughout the year and have an endless season. So it's, in a sense, it's not necessarily telling people run hard all the time, but in order to, what you're going to do is you want to practice racing. Um, short, long, and making sure that you're going to get some kind of run. So I'm, I'm looking at his, uh, his, his plan in this article. It's really, he's looking at true recovery days, easy long run when not racing. So like here, here's one interesting thing. And this is actually one, I use this phrase, um, volume and intensity jobs, like kind of like you're tweaking in sliders and everybody has their own um volume and intensity knob that's based on their own that's based on their own body and their own recovery period and i see this with student athletes and i see this with adults but one thing that rubio kind of implied in this article and, I, and maybe it's not what he intended um is that a, an, an easy long run can have the same place in your workout as a short hard race so on a, and this is kind of how I treated my own running and actually still do to some degree is, all right, I, I need to get 15 miles today at an easy pace, or I'm going to go out and run a hard, you know, five to 10 K race. So I'll get a little warm up and a little cool down. I'm not going for like a five or 10 K PR, but I'm going to have a hard effort in there. And it's kind of like stretching out what at the barest minute, was like, Oh, how many calories are you burning, et cetera, or what mm -hmm. kind of overall effort. It's either going to be long and easy, short and hard, 
but you're still going to get a benefit from either of those different kinds of benefit, but it's a, it's a way to keep yourself training and fit and getting different aspects to it. So in this, in a sense, is one of the self, bits of self-knowledge that's super important here is what, what is your intensity knob? Like how much intensity can you take and what's your recovery period for when you do something like a shorter intense workout, which I think really means is like, what is your muscle composition? Slow twitch, fast twitch. And then there's, there's, there's other versions of that, like kind of like that a lot of marathoners have, which is kind of in between. Um, and then what is your volume knob? Because some people can have a lot of miles, and as long as they keep it slow, they're going to be okay. Um, but the second they ratchet up the intensity, they need more recovery. Whereas some other people can do a lot of intense stuff, and then um, and it can be done. I like the last part of that. Yeah, I like I like what you said on the last part because, um, yeah, your your what do they call it? The aerobic engine or something? Your if you can run a 6:30 mile, one mile, then you have some speed, and then it's just a matter of doing that many times. So you don't have to run 6:30 miles, like in your training. You got to work on the aerobic to keep, you know, to, to keep it up for multiple miles. And I think that's where the long comes in, because you great you gain strength on the long. And low, the low and slow stuff, it takes a really long time. And I've read like you get um, you can you can gain muscle quickly, but the your aerobic system takes much longer than your muscular system, like in your legs. So you can actually be running faster, but your your aerobic system overall is not keeping up with you because it takes many months versus you know just weeks on the muscle side. So. And like the heart muscle and everything develops totally different than other parts. And I'm totally butchering this for the, you know, physiology people out there. But yeah, it's different development systems. This is interesting. We're way off the reservation from how was your race, Andy. <laughs> this is fascinating to me. <laughs> this is this is this is, this is well, part of the postmortem and thinking <laughs> about what happened going into it, what happened during it, and. Yeah, it naturally leads to, you know, well, it, how, it was like the year be- <laughs> it was like the year before I had I could we did that mile. Remember, we did that mile uh, time trial. It was like a year ago cause, uh, before the Boston uh, marathon. And and I pulled a hamstring. It was like, remember that you did a mile time trial. <laughs> yeah, we had a mile race. Uh, it was the it was a year because i listened to the podcast from last year and i pulled my hamstring because i was trying to do like a 520 um because i was uh, we we did it together and we were passing a bunch of people and we started behind like 40 people and it was and i was like well we have to be 20 feet behind the start line to do a true mile we can't just do four laps yeah this was at um uh san rafael high NFL High. It was, I think it was a track meet. I'm going to go uh, back to it. It was around the Boston time. It was a month before Boston. Well, anyway, I had all the aerobic and spades. I was like, great. But the legs weren't there because like, I wasn't built for 520. I wasn't training for a 520s or anything under under a you know couple miles. So 
but I got to go to bed, guys. All right. <laughs> so, um, recover. Keep keep the recovery going. Thank you, everyone. Appreciate it. Nice um, yeah, Wait. it was okay. It was my slowest Boston. <laughs> but you finished, and you got your unicorn. And I qualified for next Boston because <laughs> I get tons of minutes now because I'm old. So as I'll be 45 next year. And I get uh, a 320 standard, and I was a 317. Which what is the what is the standard for? Um, what do they break the age groups? Is it per five year age, or is it per? I um, think um, I think I'm, I I get into the after 35. Boston qualifier times 18 to 34, see. and then after that it's like 35 to 39. 40 to 44. Oh. So forth. Yeah, I, I get a full 10 more minutes because I'm 45. So I just, I, w- I would have had to do a 310. Now I get to do a 320. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, yeah, I'm in a different, uh, yeah, it's in five year increments. I was thinking about that. Yeah. So you're you're 40, right? You're 310. Yeah, I'm 310. Uh, Max is 305, I think. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Tim DiCarlo is also, th- we're, we're, t- we're in the same boat, 320. I'm still trying to qualify for an 80-year-old woman. <laughs> That's my time goal. <laughs> Just have to want it enough. You can do it <laughs> and not get injured. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks. All right. Good night. Bye, everybody.